Uh, first off, I want to say to all of you uh, fathers out there, Happy Father's Day. Um, this is now my 17th uh, Father's Day, uh, and let me tell you, I don't know that it can get any better than this. I started off this morning with a, a hug from my youngest, I got a card from my middle, uh, and my oldest, White, uh, has agreed to come up here and co-preach with me. And so we've had a great time working on this together. So there, there cannot be a better Father's Day for me than what's going to happen today, and my prayer is that your Father's Day will be just the same. You know what? Years ago when I was in uh, class, the, one of the professors was talking about when preaching a sermon, he said, if you're, if you're going to start off with a joke, it better be a good one. Because if it's a bad one, you know, it'll just go all downhill from there. And so, I think I have a good one to get us started off with. So, do you want to hear a good joke? Yeah, go for it. Okay, here we go. Here we go. You're going to like this one. Okay, here we go. Knock, knock. Who's there? <laughs> Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange you glad I didn't say banana. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that almost everybody here has heard that knock, knock joke at least a half a dozen times. Well, in the Crum household, we love jokes, and my two girls, they absolutely love knock-knock jokes. In fact, for several years, Gracie's favorite joke was the knock-knock banana joke. And let me tell you, the banana visited our house regularly. Several times a day, he knocked on the door, and she would let him talk over and over and over again, and sometimes she would actually forget that orange was supposed to show up later on. But eventually, hopefully, we would help her get to the orange punchline joke. What I want to talk about this morning is what would happen if you already knew what was going to happen. What would happen if you knew the outcome of the day or the event? Would it change your thinking? Would it change your actions? Could it possibly even change your life if you knew how it all was going to end? Okay, well, give me an example. Okay, great. I'm glad you asked. Um, what if I said, what if I told you that an angel came down from heaven and, and gave a vision to me to, and to me only and he said, I want you to know that the Denver Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. And, and I came and told you that, what would you say? I wouldn't believe you because that's impossible. <laughs> All right. Spoken like a true cowboy. Okay, so... Uh, Let's, let's just pretend for just a moment that, that an angel did come down and he revealed to me that the Broncos were going to win the Super Bowl and I told you and you believed me, what would you do? Well, I might become a Broncos fan. Okay, you, wow, that's, that's hurtful for me to hear, but okay, I'm going with this. So you, if you're a Broncos fan, what would you do? 
buy a jersey. Okay, you might buy a jersey. Okay, uh, maybe you get well, like a Peyton Manning jersey. Oh wait, no, he's not there anymore. I can't can't use him. I don't even know anybody on the Broncos team anymore. But you might get a jersey. You might start hanging out with Richard Navaretti, and I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but it, it could happen, okay? Maybe, maybe you would paint your truck orange and blue, and you'd put a big horse head in the back window with the orange flames. Maybe so. Anything else? I might place a bet. You, you said that out loud. In front of everybody. I just want you to know, after the service, I'll be back in the room over there. I will be surrounded by the elders. If anybody wants to come and take pictures, uh, they will be uh, telling me that my uh, two weeks uh, is starting 14 days ago. So, now that my, my son has admitted that he would be gambling for the Broncos. Okay, so, so let's quickly change to a different analogy. Okay, let's get far, far away from that. What if, on the other hand, what if I told you that tomorrow you were going to smash your finger in a car door? What would you do? I would do anything and everything to avoid a car. Okay, you would, you would stay away from cars. Yeah. Like, so, if you wanted to go get food, you, you would not get in a car. You would just, you would walk to Taco Villa. Okay, you just, because you love your finger so much, and because you want to protect it, and you want to keep it safe, you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to have my feet do all the work, because I don't want my finger to have to deal with it. Well, that's a little bit what we're going to talk about this morning, the idea of how would your life change if you already knew the ending? And I want to start off this morning by sharing with you an illustration from a movie that maybe you have seen years and years ago. Uh, it was made in 1993. It was called Groundhog Day. So Groundhog Day 1993 uh, stars Bill Murray, as the, who plays the character Phil, and Andy McDowell, who plays Rita. Uh, in this movie, Bill Murray's character wakes up on the same day over and over again. Um, it takes place on Groundhog Day. Does anybody know what day that is? February 2nd. So February 2nd, 1993, in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, Phil wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning to I've Got You by Sonny and Cher. Yeah, we all know that song, right? I've got you, babe. Wah, 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 wah. I've got you, babe. <laughs> that's, that's about as good as it gets there, doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, so um, they wake up to that song. Um, uh, so I'm understanding you're saying, for those who maybe have not have seen the movie, he wakes up in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, to the same song, and every day the, the day starts out just the same, and it's only altered by his own actions. Otherwise, when that day ends, he starts back over again and replays that same day again. So what are some of the things that, that Phil does in the movie? Yeah, so first, uh, one of the first things he does is he decides to go after women. Um, after he decides that that is not working for him, he then robs a bank. Okay, good uh, life decisions. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, after that, he decides to kidnap the groundhog and drive him and itself, itself and him off a cliff. Okay, and this is a, a great part of this story. I don't know, for those of you who've seen it, you may remember the scene. Uh, it just so happens that the groundhog... Uh, his name is also Phil. So Big Phil steals a truck, 
kidnaps the groundhog, Little Phil, and the scene is them running away from the police and the owner and the mayor, uh, and, and they're headed off, and Little Phil is clutching the steering wheel, and Big Phil is, you know, kind of talking and singing and laughing, and then they, they drive off a cliff. Um, why would they do that? No, I think he was just doing anything to get out of that loop. Yeah, he was just, he was so sick of being stuck. He knew how it was going to end, and he did not want it to go that way. And so he decided he would, he would take him and the groundhog off the cliff. So what else does Phil do throughout the movie? Well, he does a couple other crazy things. Uh, first, he jumps off a building. Then he steps out in front of a moving truck. And then he even uses a toaster in the bathtub. And that probably did not go well. It did not. Uh, after he decides that he's, he's done dying, he decides to live a little. He learns some French, he learns poetry, he takes piano lessons, he does some ice sculpting, and eventually learns everything about everyone. Yes. Uh, in fact, Groundhog Day has become somewhat of a cult classic. A lot of people um, really do like this movie, and even in its quirkiness. Uh, but somebody tried to put a calculator to it, and they, at the end of the movie, you see that he's mastered some of these things, like you mentioned, ice sculpting and playing the piano. And somebody put a calculator to it and decided that that in order for him to master the things that he did, he would have had to have lived on Groundhog Day for about 33 years. So over 12,000 days, he lived the same day over and over and over again. And it really brings up the question, what would you do if you already knew the end? Well, there's a story in the Bible where it's going to be somewhat similar, though there's no groundhog involved. The story in Genesis starting in basically chapter 20 and builds up, we have the story of... Abraham and Isaac. Yes, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is a pretty old guy, but he's been told over and over again by God that he is going to be the father of many nations. In fact, he says, you're going to have so many descendants, it'll be like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. You won't, you won't be able to count them. But no son. Over and over and over again, year after year, he doesn't have a son. In fact, he decides to take his wife's uh, handmaiden, Hagar. Uh, that, that was a terrible decision uh, and has, affects us still today because of that. But he's, he did that. That didn't work out. Finally, at 100 years old, God gives him a son. Now, we don't know how long after this. We don't know how old Abraham is and we don't know how old Isaac is. But as we read through the story we come to understand that Isaac had to be at least old enough to carry the wood. And so God comes to Abraham as we read in Genesis chapter 22 and He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to go to the place where I have chosen and I want you to sacrifice him there on the altar. And the crazy thing about Genesis 22 is there's no complaining. There's no arguing there's no debating, there's no bartering, there's no negotiating. He doesn't pull a Jonah and run the other way. He doesn't do like a Moses and say, oh, I, I can't do this. All we read is that he got up the next day. He grabbed some servants, a donkey, all the supplies that they would need, and they took his son, and for three days they traveled. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes a drive back home to Dallas, a drive back home to Dallas, 
can take about six hours and some crazy things can happen in the car with the kids. And the one question they always ask is, are we there yet? But the question on Isaac's mind is a little different because they finally get there and this is my favorite verse, Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. Abraham turns to the servants and he says to them, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up the mountain. We're going to worship there and we're going to come back. And then he takes some wood and he starts to put it on his son Isaac. And he actually is going to have his son carry the wood. And then he takes a torch. And he takes a knife. And they start heading up the mountain. And what most kids ask today is, Dad, are we almost there yet? But Isaac has a different question. Do you remember the question that Isaac asked? We have the wood and the knife. But where is the sacrifice? That's a really good question. He says, Dad, we, we got almost everything, but, but we're missing one thing. Where's the sacrifice? And that's when Abraham says, the Lord will provide. It's great faith that's required of Abraham. Can you imagine having that kind of faith? Would you be willing to carry a knife that you would put in your own child and fire so that you could burn him? How would your life be changed if you had that faith? I mean, that faith can fuel the most amazing amount of obedience. But here's what's crazy, and this is what I really love about this. It's not what Genesis says about Abraham and Isaac that's so amazing. It's what the Hebrew writer says in the great faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Did you hear that? I mean, what kind of faith would it take to load up wood on your son and say, we're going to go up this mountain and we're going to worship. And you're holding the knife and you're holding the torch, and you're headed that way, and this whole time you're thinking, God, I know you're going to step in. I know you're going to step in. I know you're going to do something and fix this. But it says in Hebrews that Abraham had such great faith that even if he had killed his only son, even if he had set him on the wood, that he would rise again. What a story of great prophecy. That even if the sun was laid out on the wood, even if He would be given as a sacrifice, He would be raised again. 
if we could have that kind of faith in God. Which leads us to a bigger question. How could God do it? Oh, well, that's, that's simple. I mean, He could do it because He, he, knew, he knew how it was going to end. Simple? Well, you know, I mean, God allowed Jesus to suffer. Jesus chose to die because they knew how it was going to end. How did it end? Okay, you know the story. I mean, Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again, and that, that changed everything. Everything? Everything! You know, because of God's sacrifice, the world was changed, absolutely. People were changed, and after that, people started changing the world. Everyone? Well, I mean, Christianity was started. Yeah, so the churches were built. Yeah, and, and that's, that's right, because churches were built, you know, I mean, prisoners were set free, and the blind received their sight, the, the oppressed were liberated, poverty was eradicated, and now earth has become a place of love, and happiness, and peace, and joy, and forgiveness, all because God gave His Son. The whole world was saved? Well, I mean, a bunch of them. A bunch of them? Some of them. Why not all of them? Why not all of them? Why are people oppressed? Why are people oppressed? Why are people hungry? Why are people hungry? Why are people poor? Why are people poor? Why are people lost? Why, why are people lost? Why did God send His Son to save the world when they won't accept it? He sent His only Son to save us, to die for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6-8 At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You remember that? He sent His only Son to save us. To die for us. Most don't remember Him. They ignore Him. Most don't praise Him. They curse Him. Most don't follow Him. They question Him. You know, that's that's interesting thought about Groundhog Day. You know, over and over again... Phil is trying to figure out what he wants to do with that one day. But he knows what's going to happen in the end. And at first, he says, I'm just not going to do this. I'm, I'm not going to go through this day anymore. And he tries over and over again to take his life. He says, because I, I just don't want to deal with it. Then he begins to, to build a relationship with Rita. He, he begins to love her. 
And so, towards the end of the movie, we see Phil trying to show his love towards Rita. And right at the end of the movie, they're sitting there talking at the end of another day, and of course, her mind is erased, and she never remembers all the previous Groundhog Days. And he says this, he says, you know the terrible thing about tomorrow? It's that you're going to wake up and you will have forgotten me. And you'll treat me like a jerk again. And you hear that and it just kind of takes the wind out of you. And then I start thinking about what God did for me and what He did for you and what He's done for this whole world. Almost as though stuck in a Groundhog Day type of of movie, God over and over again comes to us. He woos us. He calls us into relationship. He gives us sunrises and sunsets and little babies. And He gives us opportunities for joy and happiness and peace. And then at the end of the day, We forget. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder why He would do it. If He knows the outcome, why would He keep on loving us? It's one thing to say, I'm going to send my Son and He's going to save you and you're all going to rejoice. But what if He says, I'm going to send my Son and you're going to ignore me, curse me, and question me? Would you call an audible? Would you change what you would do if you knew how your son would be treated? And so I ask the question again, why did God send His Son to save the world when they won't accept it? He did. Because that's what love does. Because He is a Father. And even though earthly dads don't always get it right, God does. And even though He knew the outcome, He gave us a chance. He gave us hope. He gave us, he gave us His Son. He gave us His love. It's what, what a father, father does. This morning... I want to take a moment and say thank you again to all of our fathers and the role that you have played in the raising of your sons and your daughters in a spiritual manner. And even those of you who have raised other people's sons and daughters and showed them and spoken to them about the love of Jesus. I also want to take a moment to honor the fathers who aren't here. The ones who have helped us grow and come to know Jesus. For some of them, they're a few miles away. For some of them, they've been gone for years. But this morning, I want to honor those fathers who have pointed us to Jesus. But most importantly this morning, I want us to praise the Father who knew exactly what we would do and how we would disappoint and how we we would turn away. And He still said, I am sending My Son because I love you and I want you to be saved.
I want us to praise the Father who never gives up and continues to love us. And I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to join us in praising that same Father this morning. Let's do it as we stand and sing. Come to me, soothe my soul with rays of peace. As I look to you alone, fill my thirst.